I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every prayer path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we looked at the responses of people to the one message of the Lord Jesus Christ. The message that brought people to Christ. The message that was used in building people up so that the disciples were multiplying. And as we looked at that message, we noted that there were both positive and negative responses to the message. And some of the responses were violent. And so we asked the question, why was this so? What went wrong? Was it the word? Was it the message that had a problem? And we realized that it wasn't the message. After all, this one message that brought salvation to many, that brought and grew the people up to become disciples, is powerful, is effectual, is effective. It accomplishes wherever God sends it to accomplish a task. But how come it is not accomplishing the task in human hearts? How come when it comes into the lives of some hearers, it doesn't accomplish the task of salvation as it should accomplish? We realized that the issue was actually the individuals who were hearing the word. For example, we saw that those who had positive responses to the word of God and that one message of Christ that changed lives received the message as the word of God. They didn't see it as the words of men. They saw it as the word of God capable of transforming their lives and so they received it as such. The second thing we noticed is that they received it with meekness. They were not debating or arguing with the word of God. They received it with meekness. Then thirdly, we saw that they received it with faith in their hearts. They trusted the gospel. They did not doubt it. They did not doubt its efficacy. They did not doubt what it said. They had their trust in it and they held on to it. Now for those who responded negatively, we noticed that they responded negatively because one, they had a hardened heart. Their hearts were impervious. The word could not penetrate into the heart. So even though the word of God is powerful, when it came to their hearts, it met a brick wall as it were and it bounced back. It had no impact on them. The second thing we noted was that these people, their hearts were corrupted. The Bible said that many of them erred in their hearts. So there was already error within their hearts. So that when the word of God came in, all it meant there was corruption. And it tended to want to corrupt the word and to misuse and abuse the word in a different direction. We also noted that the people who responded negatively had a rebellious heart. Their heart was hostile to the word of God. They never could accept what the word of God was saying to them. We want to build on that in this broadcast and we want to look at the response to the one message and the state of the hearts of the hearers. So we will be looking at essentially the discussion on the parable of the sower. Now, the parable of the sower is so called by many commentators on the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ said that parable was a parable of all parables, implying that if you don't understand that parable, it will be difficult for you to even understand or appreciate any other parable. And I look at this parable and I see that, number one, the parable speaks of the sower. That's true. It speaks of the seed, which is the word of God. That's true. But it speaks of the soil on which the sower sowed the seed. And so I prefer to call it the parable of the soils. And you will see in a moment why I prefer to call it parable of the soils. Because it is a parable that speaks of the place where the word of God, when it is spoken, will alight on. And how it is received and grows, whether it grows for a short while or it grows onto maturity. And that is the heart 
of man. Now, when we talk of the heart of man, we must note, and I must state it emphatically, that we are not speaking of that portion of the human organ that pumps blood. We are speaking of the inner man of the human being. Now, man is a trinity of sort. Man is a spirit who has a soul or mind and dwells in a body. So we are speaking of that spirit man. That spirit man is where the receptivity or otherwise of the word of God takes place. It is in that spirit man that the word of God is either received positively or received negatively with the inherent response that we see manifesting physically. So to set us on our course to get insight on what is happening in the heart of men, we'll be looking at this parable. I'm going to be reading from the Living Bible translation in the course of our discussion today. And we're essentially going to settle with three basic scriptures from the gospel, even though they're the same. But we're going to focus more on the gospel of Mark. Then we'll look a little at, at Matthew and we'll look a little at Luke. Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 3. Listen, a farmer decided to sow some grain as he scattered it across his field. Some of it fell on a path and the birds came and picked it off the hard ground and ate it. Some fell on thin soil with underlying rock. It grew up quickly enough but soon wilted beneath the hot sun and died because the roots had no nourishment in the shallow soil. Other seeds fell among thorns that shot up and crowded the young plants so that they produced no grain. But some of the so seeds fell into good soil and yielded 30 times as much as had been planted, some of it even 60 or a 100 times as much. If you have ears, listen. Afterwards, when he was alone with the 12 and with his other disciples, they asked him, what does your story mean? He replied, you are permitted to know some truths about the kingdom of God that are hidden to those outside the kingdom. Though they see and hear, they will not understand or turn to God, or be forgiven for their sins. But if you can't understand this simple illustration, what will you do about all the others I am going to tell? It is this verse that points out the fact that this is a parable of parables. If you can understand this parable, every other parable will be easy to understand. Why? Because it is dealing with the core of our understanding of the word of God, which is the heart. Verse 18, the farmer I talked about, is anyone who brings God's message to others, trying to plant good seed within their lives. The hard pathways where some of the seed fell represent the hard hearts of some of those who hear God's message. Satan comes at once to try to make them forget it. The rocky soil represents the hearts of those who hear the message with joy, but like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep, and though at first they get along fine, as soon as persecution begins, they wilt. The thorny ground represents the hearts of people who listen to the good news and receive it. But all too quickly, the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and lusts of nice things come in and crowd out God's message from their hearts so that no crop is produced. But the good soil represents the hearts of those who truly accept God's message and produce a plentiful harvest for God, 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much 
as was planted in their hearts. In the parable of the soils, we find here the response or receptivity or otherwise of the hearers based on the state of their hearts. The Lord mentioned the pathway heart or the hard heart. Then he mentions the stony ground or the shallow heart. And then he mentions the thorny ground or what I call the preoccupied heart. The heart that is so filled with all kinds of things, there's no room. For the word of God to even breathe or do what he's supposed to do in their lives. And then it speaks of the good heart. The heart that is receptive to the word of God. And that allows the word of God to grow and to bring forth fruit. Now in Matthew 13, I'm going to read from verse 18. Now here is the explanation of the story I told about the farmer planting grain. The hard path where some of the seeds fell represents the heart of a person who hears the good news about the kingdom and doesn't understand it. Then Satan comes and snatches away the seeds from his heart. We see here lack of understanding for a hard heart. So when you hear the word of God and you don't understand it, it means that your heart is hardened towards the word of God. There are many times where the Lord spoke to his disciples, but they couldn't comprehend it. And so he said, how is it that your hearts are hard? A hard heart. Or a hardened heart is one that when the word of God is being spoken to, he does not have understanding of it. He does not even appreciate the efficacy of the word and what it can do in his life. He usually will just dust it aside and the Bible tells us that Satan quickly comes and snatches it. Why does Satan quickly come to snatch it? Because Satan knows the efficacy of the word of God. He knows that if this fellow should gain a little understanding, that's it. And so I always counsel people that when you go to church and you hear the pastor preach, and you don't understand it. Don't go home. Make sure that you engage the pastor and seek to understand what has been said. If you don't have opportunity to engage the pastor, maybe you're in a very large church and the pastor is busy or whatever, look for a brother who you know knows the word of God. You must know somebody who knows the word of God and sit down with him and go through that. If there's none, then make sure that when you get home, you open the scriptures, you prayerfully talk to God and say, Father, reveal the truth in your word to me. Then he goes on and talks about the shallow rock. He says the shallow rocky soil represents the heart of a man who hears the message and receives it with real joy, but he doesn't have much depth in his life and the seeds don't root very deeply. And after a while, when trouble comes or persecution begins because of his beliefs, his enthusiasm fades and he drops out. He falls away. The third one, verse 22 now, it says the ground covered with thistles represents a man who hears the message, but the cares of this life and his longing for money choke out God's word and he does less and less for God. The good ground represents the heart of a man who listens to the message and understands it and goes out and brings 30, 60 or even a hundred others into the kingdom of God. Now, if we go to Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read verse 11 to 15, which is also the explanation of the parable from Luke's perspective. This is its meaning. The seed is God's message to men. The hard path where some seed fell represents the hard hearts of those who hear the words of God, but then the devil comes and steals the word away and prevents people from believing and being saved. The stony ground represents those who enjoy listening to sermons, but somehow the message never really gets through to them and doesn't take root and grow. They know the message is true and sort of believe for a while. 
But when the hot winds of persecution blow, they lose interest. The seed among the thorns represents those who listen and believe God's word, but whose faith afterwards is choked out by worry and riches and the responsibilities and pleasures of life. And so they are never able to help anyone else to believe the good news. But the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people. They listen to God's word and cling to them and steadily spread them to others who also soon believe. So we see that if the sower, the man who is preaching the gospel, is perfect, if the seed that is the gospel message is unadulterated, is genuine, is powerful, its efficacy cannot be impeached, its ability to save is there, it brings wisdom, it enlightens, it transforms lives. There is always that problem of the hearts into which the word of God is being spoken. We talked about the pathway heart or the wayside or the hard ground. It's like pavement. It's like throwing seed on concrete or the hard road. There is no magic to it. It cannot grow. So the issue here is that this heart is impervious. Luke says that they are not able to believe and be saved. No matter how many times they hear the gospel, they are unable to receive it. They are unable to believe it. They cannot be saved. These people lack understanding that what is being spoken to them is able to transform their lives radically. They want solution to life's problems, but they don't want to receive the word of God that will change them. I remember many years ago when I ran a radio broadcast and after the broadcast, somebody phoned in and said to me, please, can you pray for me so that I can get a job? And I asked him if he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, not quite, but I can try. I said, so have you received him as your Lord and Savior? He said, no. I said, why not? I said, I'm not ready. So I said, how is it that you want me to pray to a God that you're not ready to accept? That's an example of a harder. He lacks understanding that the one thing he's avoiding is the one thing that he needs in his life. And there are many people like that. They are not interested in investigating even the claims made in the gospel, whether it is right or wrong. They would rather be fed by other people telling them things about the gospel, which they have not read. And they believe those people. We see a lot of them, even in the church. That is why somebody can actually go to a church where they will tell him to come and drink even urine and he will drink it. Where they will tell him to go and eat grass and he will eat it. His heart is hardened. He wants a solution, but he doesn't want it from the word of God. So any other thing they give him, he will do. The Bible tells us that Satan comes to snatch away that seed. So Satan is always operating in that heart. That is where his domain is. That heart is impervious to the word of God. That heart is hardened. Nothing is going to happen in that heart. Such a heart has to be broken. That is the only way we are going to get the word of God into that kind of heart. We need to break down the pavement. We need to get a pickaxe and break that pavement so that the seed will be able to penetrate into the soil of the heart. The second one is the stony ground or the shallow soil, the shallow heart. These are people who want something for nothing. This soil is thin. So when you look at the soil, you will think it's a good ground. But underneath it are rocks. The thickness of the soil is so thin, if you planted anything there, the best you can have is the roots spreading on the flat surface. So there is no depth to the root. And so the larger it grows, the more dangerous it is to even the people who live around that place. 
Those are the kind of trees that you find that a storm will easily carry away, will easily lift it. And you're wondering, but we thought that this tree had roots. No, it didn't have any root. There was no space underneath it. It was just spreading its root horizontally. There was no vertical depth. The Bible says that we are to take root downward so that we can bear fruit upward. This fellow is not able to go down because there is no depth in him. His heart is shallow. And even though he receives the message with joy, but because it is shallow, he can only endure the message for a while. The Bible lets us understand that persecution will always come when the word of God is given. And so when persecution came to this fellow, it fell because he didn't have the depth. He couldn't stand it. He fell away. There are many people who have begun as Christians, but sadly, they have fallen away. I'm not talking of people who fell. People who fell or who have fallen will rise up again when they repent. But people who have fallen away, when they are doing what is wrong, they are not saddened by it. There's no room for repentance in them. All they just want is to move on with life. They don't even feel anything when they are doing what is wrong. They think they are doing okay. So you can see them living in sin and enjoying it. You can see them living a life that is contrary to the word of God and it makes no difference to them. They are shallow. They may be in church. In fact, many of them are in church, but they are going nowhere. The third one is the thorny ground. When farmers are clearing the ground, for a new planting season. Usually they remove all the old shrubs and small trees that were growing. They uproot them and then gather them to one side. The idea is that they intend to burn them at some point in time. But the sower comes before they burnt it and begins to sow seed. And as he's sowing, some of the seed fell into that place. Now, for the seed to be able to grow, it means that these things that were gathered in that place are also growing. Because it is the same soil that is allowing the seed to grow that is also making those other ones to grow. Don't forget, those ones were uprooted. They already have roots. So it's very easy for their roots to go deep into the ground and begin to grow. So they usually grow faster than the seed. And so as the seed is cropping and growing as a young plant, these things become thorns and attack the word of God. So this thorny ground I call a cantankerous heart. It is a heart that attacks the word of God. It is a heart that always is debating, is always arguing with the word of God, is always querying God and querying the word of God. He is in church, all right, but every time he hears the word of God, there is a query in his heart towards the word of God. There is no meekness in this heart. This heart is cantankerous. This heart will attack anything that is the word of God. This heart is rightly the flesh and its passions and his desires that have grown in this heart. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. It will continue to query God and whatever word that God brings. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 8, the Bible talks of the carnal mind or the heart of flesh or the natural man. All these are words to signify the heart or the nature of man that loves to sin. So anything that's coming to challenge sin in that man's life, it springs up as it were, spikes and begins to attack. That is the thorny ground. The Bible talks about cares of this life. I love the way it is presented in the living Bible. In Mark, it says the thorny ground represents the heart of people who listen to the good news and receive it. But all too quickly, the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and lure of nice things come in and crowd out God's message from their hearts so that no crop is produced. 
This is the kind of heart when you challenge them and tell them to be prepared to suffer for the gospel. They will attack you and say, what are you talking about? Are we supposed to be suffering with the gospel? Shouldn't we enjoy? The gospel is for enjoyment. My pastor said we're supposed to enjoy the gospel, not to endure it. These are thorny hearts. That pastor has sown horrible seed in their hearts. And they don't know. In Matthew's account of the explanation of the thorny ground, in verse 22, says, The ground covered with thistles represents a man who hears the message, but the cares of this life and his longing for money choke out God's word, and it does less and less for God. What has happened to this heart is that it is so preoccupied with itself and with wanting to have money, wanting to gain one thing, or the other, and there's nothing you are going to say to that fellow is not interesting. In Luke's account, Luke puts it this way, the seed among the thorns represents those who listen and believe God's word, but whose faith afterwards is choked out by worry and riches and the responsibilities and pleasures of life. And so they are never able to help anyone else to believe the good news. The Bible says that we should be careful for nothing, but in all things, we should make our request known to God through prayers and thanksgiving. The Living Bible Translation says, do not worry about anything, pray about everything. We are talking of people who are overly concerned so much about life that they don't even want to hear the word of God. They attack it. When you tell them to pray, I'm not praying. What has prayer got to do with it? I have a brain. Why can't I use my brain? When you talk about the efficacy in the word of God, they say, how is that so? Oh, that was that time. It was in the days of Old Testament. These are times of technology. Things have changed. How can that happen? Blah, 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 blah. And what are they doing? They are choking out the word of God that you are trying to preach to them. In Jeremiah chapter 4, God spoke to Israel through Jeremiah and is applicable to the thorny heart here. Verse 3 and 4 of Jeremiah chapter 4. The Lord is saying to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Plow up the hardness of your hearts. Otherwise, the good seed will be wasted among the thorns. Cleanse your minds and hearts, not just your bodies, or else my anger will burn you to a crisp because of your sins. So he said, plow the fallow grounds. Dig up the stones. Dig up the thorns. Not only are you to dig up the thorns, but burn them. This is the issue. They were not burned. They were kept there. It's like what some people would do. You went to a church meeting. You said you received the Lord Jesus Christ. You got born again. You began to attend a fellowship. And in the course of the teachings, you were told that drinking alcohol is a no-no for a Christian. But here you are. You built a bar when you were not a believer in your sitting room. The bar has its aesthetic value vis-a-vis -vis your living room. Now, you have a problem. Do I remove this bar? In which case, it will devalue my sitting room. Or do I keep the bar? So you reason. Say, well, keeping the bar doesn't change anything. So you keep the bar. Then you begin to reason. The bar should not be empty. So very soon you say, well, at least I can take fruit wine. I can take orange juice. So you put them on the shelves. So that at least the concept of the bar is still there. Let me tell you something about the human heart. The human heart is desperately wicked. It's a deceiver. It can deceive you to think that what you are doing is right. The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. So the fellow will think that he's thinking right, but he's thinking wrong. So he looks and says, what is wrong with even putting, after I'm not going to drink it. He puts a bottle of brandy in his bar. And then a few friends come who are not Christians and say, we like your Christianity. We know. We, we went to brother XYZ's house. 
And I mean, he is so stern. We don't understand that kind of Christianity. And then you get all proud and you're happy that people are receiving you. And you say, don't mind it. Those are fanatics. We don't practice fanatical Christianity in our church. And we accept some things. And so before long, your friends are drinking brandy. And after a while, you get a whiff of it in your nostrils. And then you take a shot or two and nothing is happening. Before we know what's happening, you are back to drinking. I once attended a baby dedication by Christians. And I was amazed to see the level of alcohol in the place. Not only was the level of alcohol in the place high, the kind of music they were singing. These people went to church that day to dedicate that baby. A pastor prayed over that baby. They came back home and started playing strange music and were giving people alcohol. It was so bad that one person was so drunk. He was dancing to the music and was scattering everywhere. And as new people came in, fresh cartons of beer applied. I had to ask the person who invited me, these people, are they Christians? said, yes. Who are these people they are serving beer to? So it's their friends. So they serve beer to their friends. That is what happens with the thorny heart. It is never able to grow. It is never able to be fruitful. It will grow to a point, but it will not be fruitful. The Bible speaks of such people in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says they are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Such people can be in church, but they continue to live for themselves. They don't live for God. They live for themselves. They don't care what the word of God says. If it is not agreeable to them, they say no. So even though the word of God has power, when it comes into these first three hearts that we've discussed, they render it ineffective. It is like taking a genetically modified seed with fertilizer and everything, and you take it to the Sahara Desert and you plant it. Nothing is going to happen because that soil does not allow the seed to grow. It will die there. Such is the heart of some people. Now, these hearts don't have to be so. They can be transformed. If appropriate action is taken. Now, the good heart, the Bible says, it's an honest and good heart. Mark you, a good heart can actually be the heart in a sinner. But this is a heart that is honest enough to say, after hearing the word of God, I'm a sinner. I need to repent. You remember when Peter preached in Acts chapter 2? After a while, the people who were listening, they said to Peter, said, Men and brethren, what must we do? You see, the heart is supple. It is honest. It takes an honest account of itself. It's looking for God, but he doesn't know how to get to God. So when he hears the word of God, he says, men and brethren, what can I do? That's an honest heart. That heart wants to change. That heart wants to know what God requires of him. The Bible says that this is a heart that has understanding. This is a heart that recognizes that the word of God can change my life. The only thing I don't know is what am I supposed to do for this heart to change? The Bible talks about Saul of Tarsus. When he was met by the Lord, the first thing he said was, what would you have me to do? These are hearts that desire God. They may be looking for God in the wrong places, but the moment they sense the genuine word of God, their hearts tilt towards the word of God. They are not quarreling. They are not fighting. They just want to know what God is saying. And once they hear it, they say, what would you have me to do? This good heart is a receptive heart. It receives the word of God. Now, I want to say something here. The heart that receives the word of God will reject the word that is not of God. The hard heart that rejects the word of God will receive the word of Satan. So we must understand that, that the hearts we are speaking about here is in the context of the word of God. If you bring any other word apart from the word of God, the roles of these hearts will change. 
the first three hearts we've discussed, the hard heart, the stony heart, and the thorny heart will be receptive to the word of Satan. In fact, the word of Satan will grow in them because it's a message that seeks to grow their covetousness and their greed. So when some pastors who have been fed with false teachings go out and begin to teach these same false things to their congregants who have such hearts, they receive it with joy and the pastor is excited. He's happy because these are people who are clapping, who are excited and so on and so forth. But for the good heart, who is in that congregation? After a while, he gets on. He says, wait a minute. This man has changed. This was not how we used to teach. His teaching is different. There's something wrong here. After a while, you see them, they stop going to church. It's not that they don't want to go to church, but they know that that church is not blessing them, that they are not receiving anything from the word of God. And so they begin to seek God and say, Lord, where do you want us to go? That is a good heart. Because that heart cannot receive a word that is not from God. But it receives always the word of God. So it's a very, very receptive heart to the word of God. Not only does it receive the word of God, it keeps it. In other words, we are talking of people who meditate on the word of God. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. It says, this book of the Lord shall not depart from out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. The essence of the meditation is not just to meditate so that you can recite, but to meditate, keep it in you so that you can do it. You can observe to do it according to all, not some, all that is written therein. It says, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. True success comes from the word of God. When we say the word of God, we're not just speaking about the written word of God. We're speaking also about the spoken word of God, which will agree with the written word of God. Any spoken word that does not agree with the written word of God is not from God. So if, for example, you want to do a business and you go to God in prayer and God says to you, that's not the business you're going to do. I want you to do this. If you do what God says you should do, you will prosper. You may not prosper in the sense that people will see you as prosperous. That is in the sense of the world, but in the sense of how God would judge, you are prospering as far as God is concerned. You will recall the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man lived sumptuously on earth, but when he died, he went to hell. Lazarus lived as a beggar, feeding off dustbins with dogs licking his wound. But when he died, angels came and took him to the bosom of Abraham. That rich man who lived sumptuously was pleading if Lazarus could just dip his little finger in water and just let a little drop from that finger touch him. Because it was totally patched because of the state of that place. A heart that does not do the word of God is going to end up in hell. That is the reality. Man is the spirit. And that spirit is what we are talking about. That spirit that will not do the word of God will end up in hell. That inner man that is shallow, that will not allow the word of God to penetrate, will end up in hell. But the good heart that opens itself up to the word of God, it bears fruit. Some 30 times, some 60 times, some 100 times. It is this heart that can be discipled, that will listen to the word. A disciple is a devoted learner, a disciplined student of the word of God. So the heart that is required for discipleship is the good heart. Nobody is born with a good heart. The good heart is made by God. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 12, Make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and its fruit will be corrupt. So for us to be good, we have to allow God to change our lives. So let's address the kind of changes that we should expect if we are ready 
for the kind of changes that God wants to make in our lives. First and foremost, let's look at the hardened heart. The hardened heart cannot benefit from the gospel at all. So if the hardened heart is ever going to benefit from the gospel, it must be dealt with. And the only person that can deal with the hardened heart is God. How does God do this? God will bring those people into situations that will break them down. Except God does not love them. I heard how they used to break in horses in ancient times. The hunter will go into the forest looking for these wild horses. When he finds one, if he's able to get close enough, as close as he can, he will come with a lasso, which he has already tied a very long rope. He would have tied one to the end of a fat tree trunk. And then he will lasso this horse. And once the horse senses the lasso on its neck, it will begin to go wild and fight and everything. The hunter just keeps away and allows the horse to go all over the place, throwing tantrums up and down the place. After seven days, he will come back. He will still find the horse angry, snorting, looking at him angrily. That if I get hold of you, you know horses can go a long way without water. He will wait again and come back over and over again until finally when he comes, he finds the horse totally subdued. When he touches it, the horse doesn't fight. The horse doesn't quarrel. In fact, when he looks at the horse's face, the horse is just like begging. Can you get me out of this? If you get me out of this, whatever you say, I will do. That is how the heart is broken. There are many people like that. Some of us know how we got born again. That's what happened. We were tough. We were strong. We were hard. Sometimes when we had money, nothing mattered. When we had fame, nothing mattered. As long as we were doing okay, we were okay. We could even go to church. But we didn't listen to pastors. We didn't care. We went there for our own reasons. We did whatever I wanted to do. Then God looked at us and said, I can't let this fellow go to hell. Let's do something about him. So God began to break us down. First you got broke. Then your friends deserted you. Then all the so-called babes that you were running around with, none of them wants to come near you. And you just realize that you had nobody. Suddenly you are wondering, how can I find God? I need God. I need God. I need God. Sometimes this thing takes five to ten years, depending on who you are. And even when they speak the word of God to you, you are not ready to listen. Even in that state, until you are so broken, one day you just raise up your hand and say, Lord, I surrender. Come and do with me as you please. And then such a man gets born again. Why? He has been broken. His heart is now good. His heart has now been, he has come to the place of honesty in his heart, where he realizes that God is the one. Such people, they change. And you begin to see them fruitful. Those are the people that you look at after some time and say, is this this person? He has changed like this? Such people, by the change in their lives alone, they can bring thousands to Christ. Because of the people who knew them and they see them changed. Now, one of the problems we have with the hardened heart is that the hardened heart must be allowed to go through the full process. If you try to ameliorate that heart, in the middle of the process, it becomes hardened again and even becomes worse. That's what the Bible means when it says, the pig has returned to its soul and the dog back to his vomit. And the Bible says that the state of that man is worse than at the beginning. It was better that he wasn't touched. So brokenness must be allowed to go through. If you know somebody who is being broken, do not try to help him. You are hurting him. You are not helping him. Allow the breaking to take place fully and completely. When that happens, that man becomes a candidate for discipleship. What of the stony ground? 
The stony ground has a problem. It has no depth. It is shallow. So what must we do? We must dig up the stones that are preventing him from going deep. We must dig them up. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit because the things of the spirit are spiritually discerned. He says, you have not received the spirit that is of the world, but the spirit that is of God. Now, the natural man has not received the spirit of God. The natural man is still operating by the spirit of the world. The Bible says the things of this world, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's how the natural man works. So there has to be a lot of digging to bring out those rocks that are stopping the word of God from penetrating down. Some of them are culture, tradition, the things we learned in school, science, those philosophies that we learned in school. They are not allowing the word of God to penetrate. So we must uproot them and throw them away. A time will come when that person will realize that all that they taught me in school has only helped me so far in life. But it cannot help me beyond this point in life. And beyond this point in life, I need God. It is at that point that those rocks have been removed. He's not just going to church to hear a feel-good message. No, 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 no. He realizes that the feel-good feel good message has not helped him the slightest. He realizes how wicked those pastors who were giving him those feel-good messages have been. He avoids them. You will find such people quietly going to some very small church where the truth is being preached. They are happy. They just sit down there. They are sitting down quietly. If you tell them to come and join work for say, no, 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 pastor, I need to hear the word of God. What has happened? The rocks have been removed. They have become deep in the things of God. The Bible says deep calleth to deep. Look at his friends. His friends are now deep. People who are deep in the word of God. But before, his friends were like him, shallow. People who just go out and enjoy themselves and go to church on Sunday and then continue to live as they want to live. What of the thorny ground? The issue with the thorny ground is the flesh and its passions and desires. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 24, those who are Christ's, those who belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. Now let me explain this to us. When you became born again, the flesh was instantly crucified by the Spirit of God. However, the flesh had laid eggs, which we call the passions and desires or the passions and its lusts. So the flesh has laid its own desires and its passions and its lusts in us. So even though the flesh was crucified, the passions and the lusts are still there. So we want to continue to do the things that we were doing when we were not born again. Perhaps it was my desire to be Nigeria's president. Now I'm born again, but that desire has not left me. I still want to be Nigeria's president. So I use the church as a platform. I will go to church and tell them to pray for me. This is my desire. But nobody has told me that that is not God's will for my life. Why? I have not crucified the passions. Let me give an illustration. It's like a snake that has laid eggs in your farm or in your compound or somewhere. The snake has been caught and killed. Beautiful. But the eggs are there. And then somebody says, oh, but these are eggs. How are we going to destroy the eggs? Let's leave them. They, they are just, they will come out as babies. By the time they come out, maybe we can pick them up and throw them away. You are joking. I once watched a documentary where a two hour old snake, baby snake, was beginning to kill chicks in the nest. He went up a tree purposely for the chicks that were tweeting in the nest, struck them and began to eat them. At two hours old, that is what the passions and the lusts of the flesh are like. 
They are like those thorns that the farmer gathered. Instead of burning them, he kept them there. They will still grow. So when we talk of crucifying the flesh, we are not just talking of the flesh alone. We are talking of the passions and the lust. Those ambitions you had must die. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things, all, all things have become new. If any man be in Christ. This is the crux of the matter here. You must crucify the flesh. You must crucify the passions and the lusts. Anything that you had as a desire before you got born again must die. You must allow it. Just let God remove it. You must now take upon yourself the things of God. Second Corinthians 5. Let me read it from the Living Bible. Verse 15. He died for all so that all who live, having received eternal life from him, might live no longer for themselves to please themselves, but to spend their lives pleasing Christ who died and rose again for them. You must come to that reality that henceforth, like Paul said, what would you have me to do? It's not this is what I want to do. It's what would you have me to do? Finally, the open and receptive heart must be ready to just receive God as God wants him to come. Accept him, accept whatever God says, and that's it. You cannot be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ if you do not have the good and honest heart. You cannot be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ with a hard heart, with a stony heart, and with a thorny heart. It's not possible. You have to first of all be broken, be made deep, and be crucified in the flesh and its passions. Then you are ready to be a disciple. Because at that point in time, the teachings that come will benefit you. It will apply to you. In Matthew chapter 13, 14 to 15, and I will think I will close with that. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. They hear, but don't understand. They look, but don't see. For their hearts are fat and heavy, and their ears are dull, and they have closed their eyes in sleep. So they won't see and hear and understand and turn to God again and let me heal them. As long as you have not allowed the Lord to break you down, to dig deep into your heart and uproot the stones that are disturbing your life and to crucify the flesh and the passions thereof, you will not be able to even ask for repentance. If you had those things, you would quickly go to God and seek his face and he would save you to the uttermost. And then you can begin to grow. This was how, in the early church days, the disciples were multiplying. This was the impact that the word of God had on the hearts of the listeners. It transformed those who were open and willing to hear the word of God. Today, our emphasis is sadly on church attendance. But God is interested in discipleship, not church attendance. This is a very sad commentary on the church today. And the church today must go back to its roots, must go back to basics to understand that its calling is to raise disciples. The Bible tells us that in, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that the Lord gave gifts to men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the edifying of the church, that's for building the saints so that they can be edified, so that they can do the work of ministry. That is discipleship. To ensure we all come to the same knowledge, to the fullness of the knowledge of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that we will not be like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Today, 
We have people who are 15 years as believers, 25 years as believers, still being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Some of them are tossed to and fro by money. Some of them are tossed to and fro by eulogies that don't have anything to do with God. Why? Because the church failed. The church must get back to basics. The basics is we need to teach the word of God, beginning from the foundation. But before we can even begin to teach the foundation, we must get the hearts of men prepared to receive it. Your heart must be ready to be engaged by God, open to his word. And so I ask, how receptive are you to the word of God? How open are you to God's word? By the way, some people don't know that the chastening of God is an act of love that God has for people. So when we hear the word of God chastising us, some people get angry. Say, why is he talking to me like that? Why is the Bible using this kind of language? It is God chastising you and wanting you to come. And the Bible says that anybody that rejects the chastening of the Lord is a bastard. It's not a child of God. It doesn't matter which church is going to. So I want to plead with us today. Are you a pastor? Change your ways. Seek the genuine gospel and make it your mission to raise disciples in your church. Let me tell you, the day you want to start raising disciples, your church will dry up. People will begin to leave. It's like a man who is obese and he says he wants to begin to slim. The fat will have to, with fat will be getting angry with him. Now what are you doing? Will almost want to weaken him from carrying on with the exercise. But you have to do it because you know that if you carry on this fat, it will kill you. If you carry on with these dead weights in your church, it will kill you. You will go to hell. You need to shape up and begin to raise disciples. And if you are somebody who thinks that church attendance is what will cut it for you, you need to change your mind today. It's not church attendance. It is discipleship. It is being discipled, learning to know the word of God, getting your heart to the place where when God speaks his word, you will receive it. Well, I want to leave you to pray to God about these things that you have heard and to begin to prepare your hearts as the Lord begins to lead us into digging the foundations of our Christian faith all over again. Remember, we are going back to basics. And so until we meet again, God bless you and goodbye.